You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, I'm going to talk to good buddy Jim Sonnes uh, from FanDuel Research. Uh, we're going to preview the Super Bowl, uh, who he thinks is going to win, Super Bowl MVP and all that. We'll get the uh, the advantages, the disadvantages, the coaching matchup, quarterback matchup, all that good stuff, and I'll get his thoughts on the Eagles as well, um, just to kind of uh, wrap up a little bit of the 2023 season from somebody else who doesn't live inside the Eagles bubble. Uh, we'll, we'll see what he has to say uh, about the birds and, and how things finished up. Uh, so we'll do that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Uh, just a, a couple of quick things before we jump into the podcast. Jalen Carter did not win Defensive Rookie of the Year, edged out by Will Anderson of the Texas Rangers. Uh, Anderson got 151 points according, uh, as opposed to 122 for Carter. It's the AP, NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, first place votes, 50 national media members um, uh, are, are, took place in that. Uh, and uh, let's see, he got, uh, Carter got, uh, f- uh, sorry, uh, Anderson got 21, uh, 16 first place votes and 21 second place votes. Carter got 14 and 14. 12 voters did not have Jalen Carter on their ballot at all. Only five voters omitted Anderson. So really, that's kind of where this thing uh, broke down. So I uh, unfortunately, uh, no no postseason hardware for the Eagles and Jalen Carter. And really, I, I can understand that. Jalen Carter really faded down the stretch and was not nearly as impactful during the Eagles slide. Of course, nobody on the Eagles uh, was very impactful during that slide to oblivion uh, as, the, as the season blew up on their faces. And as we sit here now, just a couple of days away from the Super Bowl, last year at this time, uh, we were thinking the, we were waiting for the Eagles to get started. Uh, Take on the Kansas City Chiefs. We're waiting for Jalen Hurts' big day. And then, of course, Jalen Hurts went out and had an incredible game. That fumble aside, they got returned for a touchdown. uh, Became became an NFL superstar that evening. And unfortunately, obviously didn't go the way we wanted to. But as we're sitting here now, we're trying to think, how do we we get back there, right? What's the blueprint for getting back to the Super Bowl? I wrote a story for BleedingGreenNation.com about that this week. I'll just kind of hit you with the bullet points, but I would encourage you to check it out over at BleedingGreenNation.com. And the blueprint, I think, there's not a whole lot of things in here that are going to be head scratchers or surprises. The first thing is they got to reinvent the offense, and that's why Kellen Moore has brought in here. He's got to find ways to scheme open. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, not even that they can't get open without getting schemed open, but just to help these guys, to give Jalen Hurts and these guys some layups and convince Jalen Hurts 
that the path, that the vision that he has for the offense is the right vision. Don't do so much freelancing. Don't do so much audibling at the line. You know, there's going to be RPOs, so there's going to be decisions that Jalen Hurts has to make regardless. And of course, if Hurts sees something there that he doesn't like, he should have the ability to audible out of it. But hopefully Kellen Moore can bring in some fresh ideas, like the team has been saying, while at the same time not hamstringing Jalen Hurts and confusing everybody. It's a delicate balance. I mean, this... This may not work out. This may not go well, bringing in Kellen Moore to meld with what Nick Sirianni has been drumming into these guys for the last three years. I really hope it does, but it's not a guarantee. I feel good about what Kellen Moore did in Dallas, uh, and I feel like under normal circumstances, he, he could be a very good addition as the offensive coordinator, and he they do have to reinvent this offense, and that is a key to this team returning to the Super Bowl in 2024, because no matter what they do on the defensive side of the ball, the offense is still where most of the talent is, and the offense is still what carries most teams to the Super Bowl, and it will have to carry the Eagles in 2024 back to the Super Bowl. Uh, number two, they got to figure out what's up with Jalen Hurts. Uh, and I've gone over what my thoughts are about Jalen Hurts and, and why he struggled this year. He was an MVP candidate through the first 11 games, but he did finish 20th in quarterback rating, 14th in yards, tied for 14th in touchdown passes. He threw the third most interceptions in the NFL. He also fumbled five times, lost five fumbles. He, uh, now, again, an NFL record for rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in a season with 15. And I don't care if they were tush-push or anything else, they all count. But you and I all saw that he was not the same runner this year. I think a lot of that is because of the truncated season. I feel like the contract negotiations last year certainly were a distraction for him. He had more obligations on his time. I've talked about this on the podcast before. I think that really cut into his off-season preparation. I'm sure he would scream that I'm an idiot, that there's no way that that's true, that that's completely off the wall. Just my outsider's perspective, all of those different things, I think, factored into a substandard season for Jalen Hurts. And I also think he put too much pressure on himself to get back to the Super Bowl and to be perfect and then pass that pressure on to everybody else on the team as well. Uh, number three, let Vic Fangio cook. You know, we don't have the apprentices. We don't have the sous chefs running the Vic Fangio defense anymore. We we got Gordon Ramsay in here, all right? He's, he's going to be running things, and we'll see if the Vic Fangio defense works any better with Vic Fangio running the defense. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Howie Roseman is going to have to make some changes to what he prioritizes on this defense. And that's the fourth part of my blueprint. Now, uh, one of the things that he has to do uh, is figure out what he's going to do at cornerback. I imagine Darius Slay will be back. James Bradbury will be an interesting discussion. Avante Maddox, I don't think he's going to be back. If he brings one of those guys back, does one of those guys get converted into a safety full-time because it's clear this team needs to do more at linebacker and safety. They cannot go into the 2024 season with N'Kobe Dean as a linchpin to the defense. That blew up in their faces this offseason. They put way too much trust and confidence in the second-year Bulldog, and he wasn't very good when he was on the field, especially in pass coverage, and he couldn't stay healthy. And so that's a big red flag. And N'Kobe Dean was always healthy, um, before coming to, before, you know, late in his college career and then coming to the Eagles uh, in the third round of the draft. They really, really need him to pay off uh, here in 2024, but they cannot come into the season with him and Zach Cunningham as their two guys. All right, you know, Dean will be back and Cunningham played real well. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of brave talk from Roseman about how great Zach Cunningham played this year. 
he, he was okay. He's okay. You cannot win in the NFL if though if that's your plan defensively next season. And they got to address the safety spot. Kevin Byard will not be back. Reed Blankenship is is fine, but he's not a Pro Bowler. There was a lot of talk, you know, at the beginning of the season. Reed Blankenship's gone Pro Bowler. No, we we see the limitations in Reed Blankenship's game. He's not a Pro Bowler. They got to improve at at slot corner. You just can't trust Avante Maddox in that spot anymore. He's injured too often. So a lot of work to do. But Howie Roseman also has to figure out what's going on with the defensive line. I think Vic Fangio is him coming in here will will help there. But they've got to change their priorities a little bit. They've got to prioritize linebackers and safeties. Doesn't mean you got to totally revamp your philosophy and throw a ton of money at some of these guys. But you know, I would. I think the Eagles will probably make an aggressive push for Legarius Sneed. Like if there's any big money free agent provided Kansas City doesn't find some way to hold on to him, that they would go out and get somebody like that. But I think you're looking at safeties like Kyle Duggar, Cameron Curl. Uh, you're looking at linebackers like Frankie Louvu, Tampa's Levante David could interest the Eagles if they, if he doesn't cost too much. But you got to give Vic Fangio better ingredients. Another, another spot on the blueprint here, uh, coach up the young players. Young players didn't get any better this year with this coaching staff. And the hope is that this new coaching staff We'll get Jordan Davis, get Jalen Carter playing consistently well throughout the season, especially at the end of the season. Cam Jurgens, I don't think, played as well this year. Jeff Stoutland has to do more with him. Uh, Sidney Brown may be the only young player on the season on the roster to get better uh, as the as the season went along. And Jalen Hurts is still a young player, 25 years old. They got to hope that he improves. Uh, they've got to convince Kelsey to return. That's the next uh, thing on the blueprint. Maybe moving Jurgens to center. That's certainly the wave of the future. That's what's coming. It sounds as though Kelsey wants to come back. I think he's intrigued by the idea of Kellen Moore and not ending his career on that uh, on, with that bad taste in their mouth. But Kelsey is already making the rounds in media. I think he might be having a lot of fun this offseason. I, I think my guess is his family wants him to retire based on what he was saying, uh, that he's trying to find a way to come back. But it's tough. It's tough. I mean, he's got the season starts to fade away and maybe that hunger will return. I don't think we can ask for any more than one more season out of this guy. Uh, but it's pretty clear, you know, Kelsey was the second uh, graded, the second highest graded offensive lineman on the Eagles last year behind only Jordan Mailata and ahead of Lane Johnson. Couple other things on the blueprint. They got to minimize the chaos. There's just way too much drama these last two years under Nick Sirianni. He has to do a better job of calming everybody down and getting the locker room under control. All of these, all this finger pointing at the end of the season, it was Brian Johnson, it was Sirianni, it was Hertz, all that stuff, that stuff is awful. That's gotta end. He needs to be calm. He needs to be a calming influence when the storm clouds form, and then hopefully the team will learn to shut out the noise and focus on working together to get the job done. Britton Covey was making some comments about that uh, at on Radio Row at the Super Bowl, just like there was a lot of outside noise that was preventing the Eagles from from doing what they needed to do. And I, I hope that outside noise, outside noise wasn't coming from this podcast, but it's out there, and they need to they need to just calm things down, get some normalcy in that in that organization. I mean, when you're a marquee team, you know you have to deal with some of that, but you do not want to be the Dallas Cowboys where every day seems like it's just pure chaos. And then the last thing on my list in terms of in, in terms of the blueprint, have some fun. Make football fun again. It did not look like for one second last year 
like anyone on that football team was having any fun. You watch Jalen Hurts in that flag football game at the Pro Bowl, laughing, smiling, running routes and stuff like that. They, we did not see that Jalen Hurts smile once this year. At no point were the Eagles having fun in 2023. That's just that's just not okay. When you're 10 and 1, you cannot be the most miserable 10 and 1 team in NFL history. You have got to find a way to enjoy wins against the Cowboys and the Chiefs and the Dolphins and the Bills. Winning football games in the NFL is hard enough without making it harder on yourself by not allowing you to to take in any of the joy. Like if you had this aim for perfection and getting back to the Super Bowl, man, you got to enjoy the ride too or you're not going to get there. If you're not enjoying the ride to the Super Bowl, you can't get to the Super Bowl. You've got to find a way to inject some fun. And that was one of my reasons for just taking the final week off against the Giants. Just get back to zero and try and figure out a way to enjoy yourself. But there was just, there was no joy in that team. And it didn't seem like there was any joy from week two when A.J. Brown's yelling at people on the sidelines. It didn't start with the slide. It started long before that. It started in training camp. It started from week one, where there was they put so much pressure on themselves, and that comes from the coach and the quarterback, that no one on that team was able to relax. And it all came crashing down when the 49ers blew their doors off. When they lost that confidence, that was it. They have to find that smile on the field. It's not a quantifiable part of the blueprint for a Super Bowl return, but I think that is a huge key to this team getting back there another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, well, let's get into this Super Bowl matchup here this weekend between the 49ers and the Chiefs. And, of course, here in Philadelphia, we if you could have picked two teams that we would least have wanted to see play in this game, of course, it would probably be the smack-talking 49ers who have whined incessantly since losing in the NFC Championship game a year ago to the Eagles, and uh, they've made it work to their advantage. They've gotten to the Super Bowl. They climbed that hurdle uh, this time around. And then you have the Kansas City Chiefs who it seems, are allergic to not playing in the Super Bowl. Andy Reid all of a sudden cannot lose champion conference championship games. And so as a Philadelphia sports fan, it's 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 going to be kind of a, a tough watch emotionally. But I do think we've got the two best teams in football playing in this game. And joining me to talk a little bit more about this is a good buddy of mine, Jim Sonis. Uh, we used to work together at numberfire.com. He's now the managing editor of digital media at FanDuel Research. Um, he's just, he's got... Tons of podcasts all over the place at last check. Jim is on Twitter at Jim Sonis. It's X, I guess, now is what we're <laughs> still calling it. Jim, welcome back to Eye on the Enemy. How are you, buddy? It is always good to talk to you, John. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing good. And uh, tell people about the podcast. There's lots of them, right? Oh, yeah. We had five shows this week for Super Bowl stuff. Actually, six, uh, counting the DFS stuff. Our betting show is called Covering the Spread. And then we have a DFS show talking single-game DFS for the NFL uh, for this weekend. That's on the Number Fire Daily Fantasy Podcast feed, the one area where the Number Fire name is still kicking around. Right. Um, so it's still there. Uh, it's okay. still there. So if you want some betting insights, playing some Daily Fantasy, uh, the FanDuel Podcast Network, hopefully we'll have you covered across the board there. All right, very good. We'll make sure to catch Jim's stuff, uh, catch Jim's stuff there. But let's let's talk about the game a little bit here. And I do want to ask you, uh, before we get into the game, I do want to ask you just quickly uh, about the Eagles. I mean, I know you're not yeah. dialed into this team as closely uh, as we are, but I do like talking to somebody who can maybe help us zoom out a little bit. And and there's been a very tumultuous offseason already. I mean, the, the end of the season was about as bad as it gets. The Eagles went from being a 10-1 Super Bowl contender, almost overnight morphing into one of the worst teams in the NFL with the way that they were playing, finishing up the season it's just a remarkable 180 that they did they've of course swapped out the offensive coordinator swapped out the defensive coordinator but kept Nick Sirianni in place can you just what is your what are your thoughts on the 2023 Eagles and kind of where they stand now entering a 2024 offseason with a lot of question marks I think it was one of the situations where they were never as good as they played early on, but also never as bad as they played late in the season, specifically on offense. Like their offense was still good the entire year. For the full year, they ranked ninth by number fire schedule adjusted metrics in overall efficiency, and they were good both rushing and passing. So I feel like the offense, as long as the key components do indeed come back, I think I, I, the AJ Brown trade rumors were kind of weird, so I feel like they they should... weren't real. That was yeah. one. That was one guy on the afternoon show. Thing. What if we did this? I mean, it's like it was not based in any kind of reality because yeah. I mean, just cap space alone, you you, you, right. you couldn't you couldn't possibly do it. So it's just right. if you're on a sports talk radio show and you mention something, all of a sudden it's an <laughs> official rumor. If I on this podcast, if I were to if I were to say it, nobody's nobody's thinking right. about it. Nobody's thinking twice about it. Right. 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 Exactly. And so like. As long as they bring back the key components in Jalen Hurts, Lane Johnson, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, I feel like the baseline expectations to the offense should be good. And the defense, you know, that is what it is. Uh, But it can't get a lot worse, I guess, I hope, you know, kind of thing. So I feel like expectations slash hopes should still be high because the offense, even in the stretch run, wasn't awful. It was more so just the defense being hideous that led to all those losses towards the end of the year. So personally, I don't think it's time to like give up on them yet. I am glad there was at least some level of continuity as far as like not tearing the entire coaching staff. It was basically the entire coaching staff. Like I think Nick Sirianni still, I still have a high opinion of him personally. So given that they have the key offensive pieces still in place, I don't think we need to totally abandon hope on this team just yet, even if there are some legitimate flaws. Like, I think they need to upgrade a running back. I'm not a huge DeAndre Swift guy. I think they need to upgrade there so they can actually lean into the ground game, which should be a very important piece of this offense. Get some upgrades at uh, at linebacker. Get some more speed and youth at, at cornerback. They need to make some fixes, but I don't think it's totally broken just yet. I think the thing with with Nick Sirianni that really threw a lot of us for a loop was just the lack of answers that they had yeah. to some pretty basic things. Yeah. How to how to how to tackle the blitz? Blitzes have been around yeah. for forever. And you know Todd Bowles is going to blitz. Like that's you just what he does. You know he's going to blitz, and you knew right. that Wink Martindale was going right. to blitz, and and it's it was a problem all season. But they literally 
went from it being kind of a weakness, but they they managed to kind of you know muddle through because they beat Tampa, they beat Gi- the Giants earlier in the season, to towards the end of the season being utterly incapable yeah. of handling even the simplest thing here. I mean, it wasn't nobody was disguising anything. There was no trickery, and so that's that was what was most disturbing to me. And I, I think that's what a lot of the folks who weren't watching this team really closely maybe miss when talking about Nick Sirianni. Yeah. And I I thought they probably should have moved on just because there were so many good candidates this time sure, around. I wasn't sure. sure that you would have the same opportunities next year. Turns out you actually might with Sloak <laughs> and Ben Johnson going back to their old jobs and Belichick still, still being right. around next year. But it just seemed weird to me that a guy who took this team to the Super Bowl couldn't figure out how to work into his offense a quick slant option against a blitz. Like it just seems so obvious and it was it was ne- it was never an option for this team. And that's the kind of stuff that really threw me for a loop. Are you excited, John, to run back the was it Frank Reich or uh, a Doug Peterson discourse from a couple years ago? Because Shane yeah. Steichen and uh, Nick Sirianni, it's just like it's copy paste, right? Like I'm sure you're delighted to it's just have the exact same conversation once again. Yeah, yeah. And I guess what was your thought on Jalen Hurts as well? What are the numbers that you look at we're saying about his season? Because MVP candidate through the first 11 games, even though the numbers maybe weren't really telling that kind of a story, but they kept winning. He kept finding ways in the second half to pull the team up from their bootstraps. But by the end of the season, all of the numbers, even the traditional numbers, would have told you he was kind of a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. Yeah, and I think that's probably about accurate from a passing expectation perspective. I would never expect him to lead the league in, like, per dropback efficiency because that's not really where he excels but the value he adds as a runner I'm hoping will come back next year because I think that was kind of the key thing he lost after that knee injury it seemed like I mean obviously the tush push stuff was was helpful but I didn't see as much like ability to create upside via his legs like he had a lot of scrambles that just didn't do a whole lot which is weird when you watch season exactly and you watch josh allen you watch patrick mahomes even like these guys who can even brock purdy in the playoffs like they're making moves on scrambles and for whatever reason that was not there for hurts it was basically just the tush pushes so i'm kind of curious what the health level was with him I, and I think that maybe if we can get that back, get the upside plays via the legs rather than the like median and floor plays, I'm curious what that does. And again, I'm not expecting to be like the world's most efficient passer, but when you combine decent to above average passing efficiency with what he can do as a rusher and what he can provide as far as a rushing lane perspective for the running backs in this team, the value is still very good. Yeah. Maybe it's not quite like living up to the annual salary on the contract, but I don't think it's like an egregious contract either. So I still have high expectations as long as we're realistic about what he can do as a passer. I think that he can still be a very valuable piece for this offense. And I'm hoping that that kind of comes back if he can get fully healthy for next year. You know, it's funny as he was at the Pro Bowl last weekend playing in that flag football game, no brace on his knee, didn't seem to have any kind of issues with mobility or anything like that. At least there didn't seem to be any concerns. I mean, he's out there running routes uh, for for, for crying out loud. And you would think if he's got some kind of meniscus thing or whatever that he's going to need work on, that he wouldn't have been out there doing that. So uh, I I just feel like, and this is kind of my theory on Jalen Hurts, was that Playing in the Super Bowl last year, obviously his offseason was about a month shorter, certainly mm-hmm. than it was than it will be this offseason. Guy was also negotiating a $250 million sure. contract. And you you can tell me all you want, you're not involved in those discussions. You're involved in those discussions. Right. I mean, there's just no way you're not getting pulled into side rooms, you know. And 
as as somebody who almost won a Super Bowl and really was the best player on the field in that Super Bowl, yeah. he achieved superstar status last season, and his offseason demands had to have just increased exponentially. And I just wonder, you know, the the you know the the responsibility of the contract, wanting to make sure he was out there for all seventeen games. It seemed very clear early on he was told not to absorb a lot of hits, and he didn't want to take a lot of hits. I thought as the season went along, as the game started to matter more, that he would get more aggressive running the football. But, you know, I think teams were more ready for him, too. Yeah. I, I think there was just a, a factor of defenses were more on top of what Jalen wanted to do running the football. And and anytime they tried to call a designed run, it just didn't seem... He he lacked that explosiveness, and did, there just didn't seem to be an avenue there for him to, to be explosive. So I think it was a, a an awful combination of all those different things. And I also think the last thing is, I think Hertz put too much pressure on himself last sure. year to get back there. He just... There was nobody on that team who was smiling at all. <laughs> no, no. Like, the, the thing that... Bad the big, The big alarm... Yes, the big alarms... Alarm bells for that team was a, a Jeff McClain article where he said they were the most miserable 10 and one team in NFL history. <laughs> How are you miserable at 10 and one? Like there's something you are either, you are either sucking the fun out of, out of these wins that you're accumulating and making right. it miserable for everybody else or, or something else is, is going on. And, and that's not really quantifiable, but I think it's real. Yeah, it's just a team where you don't really expect the bad vibes to be there based on the people who were involved. So everyone talks about how Nick Sirianni or talked about how Nick Sirianni is like this guy, players love, Jalen Hurts, well-respected as a leader, and really good friends with the guy who commands most targets on the team in A.J. Brown. So that's not the scenario where you expect bad vibes to permeate and be a legitimate thing. If it happens with, like, I don't know, like Kyler Murray, it's like, okay, yeah, that that's fine. That makes sense. But like everything we've heard about Hertz is that he's this amazing leader. And I've seen, you think you see that a lot of that too, a lot of evidence of that being true. So it's just kind of odd when the vibe meter deviates so far from expectation. And maybe that means that it can reset after an offseason. You know, you get fresh faces uh, in the offense. Maybe Kellen Moore and Vic Fangio can lead to some changes uh, for the offense and defense. And we can come back into next year with uh, with a fresh perspective. But I guess what I would say, John, is now the, the antennas are up. And you're kind of worried. You're reading a lot of tea leaves entering this year because you hit the panic button a bit about the vibes. And yeah. so... For me, at least, as someone who is betting on this stuff, I do care about that stuff because I think it does matter. And yeah. I'm going to be paying close attention to what the reports are coming out of Eagles camp in the summer, stuff like that, because you do want to make sure the vibes are getting better than what they were before you actually invest in, whether it be financially or emotionally, in a team like that. Yeah, I, I my worry is that teams that have done what the Eagles are trying to do, like massively swap out coordinators, bring in new systems, all this kind of stuff. I don't know how often that works, you know, yeah. but we'll see. I mean, the defense is going to be the same system and you just have the architect instead of the underlings trying to do it. Right. So maybe that's helpful on defense, but offensively, uh, I, there is a concern there. The talent may end up winning out in the day, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Anyway, yeah. let's talk about the Super Bowl. Um, and uh, again, these are two really good football teams. Right. I think the 49ers, I want to start off talking about San Francisco here, and we'll talk about the, I want to talk about their defense going up against the Kansas City offense first here, because coming into this, uh, into the playoffs, the, the 49ers, their reputation is based on just having this bruising, beat you up defense that suffocates you and uh, and can really manhandle you. And so far in the playoffs, you know, they've, They've kind of gotten boat raced a little bit by by not so, not as much by the Packers, but certainly by the Detroit Lions in that first half. And then, you know, there were questions about effort 
by the by the 49ers in that NFC Championship game, especially in the first half. Now they they turned it around. Uh, they certainly benefited from from some good fortune and some bad luck by the Detroit Lions and some uh, some some poor play calling, I think, by what Detroit was trying to do. But uh, at the end of the day. San Francisco's defense, to me, doesn't feel like it's coming in as stronger. They feel like, to me, they're a little bit overrated. And I know Kansas City's offense has struggled to put points on the board. They didn't light things up against the Baltimore Ravens a couple of weeks ago, and they certainly, outside of Travis Kelsey, have nothing but question marks in terms of in terms of receivers. So in, in this game, this feels like the weakness on weakness of both <laughs> teams. So do you get the sense that that's kind of the way we're looking at it, and which weakness is greater? Yeah, I think that the Niners defense is kind of just middling, like you said, and like that's not the end of the world. You can win a Super Bowl with a, a middling defense, and they're here, so they've they've gotten past that. But I do think it's worth caveating that they faced two really good offenses in their first two playoff games, uh, based on like. When you include the playoffs, Detroit was number five's fourth-ranked uh, overall offense in terms of efficiency, and Green Bay was sixth. Like they were a really good passing offense, especially when you look towards the second half of the year. So I don't think it was a huge surprise to see the defense struggle in the situations, and I wouldn't be shocked if they do here. Now, based on season-long numbers, Detroit and Green Bay are better offenses than Kansas City. Do I think that that's realistic expectations? No. Um, it's Patrick Mahomes. And we've seen, now that they are funneling things to their actually good players, as opposed to the ancillary guys who are not as good, they've been a lot more efficient. So it's not just playoff Pat Mahomes coming through. It's because they're throwing the ball to their good players and handing the ball off to their good players as well. So... I think the Chiefs offense will have the upper hand on this side, but I also feel like that's true on the opposing side too. I think both these offenses are at a pretty good spot, so I'm expecting a lot of points in this game. I think the Chiefs will be able to move the football, whether it be through the air or on the ground. I think the ground matchup for them is is pretty good here against San Francisco. Uh, they've... They are a team that we talked a lot about their struggles against the run in the postseason, but that was apparent during the regular season too. The problem is we didn't notice because they were always up so big on teams that they could not run the football against them. Yeah. Here, if it's a more neutral game script, we're going to see the Chiefs' ability to run the football deeper in the game, and that could flesh out those concerns for the San Francisco defense. So I expect points, I think, is the overall thing for me in this game. And I think that that stems to both the Kansas City offense against the Niners defense, but also on the opposing side as well. One of the really terrible things about the Super Bowl is tired narratives because you've got a lot of reporters who are covering this particular sport for the first time this sure. year who are at the Super Bowl and they're, you know, they're looking at Brock Purdy and, and they're just discovering right now that Brock Purdy was <laughs> the last quarterback taken in the draft to, to two years ago. And um, there's the whole quarterback, uh, you know, what kind of quarterback is he? Is he a game manager? Is he more than that? And I think for those of us who watch football close enough, Brock Purdy certainly has his deficiencies. He certainly yeah. has had some bad games here and there, but I think he's a pretty darn good quarterback. And I think we've also seen throughout NFL history that sometimes really good quarterbacks can be found pretty late in the draft. And he's he's running a 49ers offense that really does look like they have a ton of answers uh, for what uh, for what Kansas City might throw at them. But perhaps the most underrated unit in the NFL this season, and it has really been this way all season because Patrick Mahomes sucks up so much of the oxygen in Kansas City and Travis Kelsey, I guess, to a degree now too, is that the Kansas City defense mm -hmm. has been beastly all season long. Like this is the unit that has gotten them back to the Super Bowl. This is this offense, the Kansas City's offense has not been great this year. The defense and Steve Spagnolo 
has been outstanding, and it's been that way all season long. Just as somebody who watched an Eagles back seven with an other inability <laughs> to tackle and pursue and, and cover, watching what Kansas City's defensive backs do, tackling the football and rallying to the football and stuff, it's 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 a master class. And it's, it's, so now you're looking at strength on strength. So if, as you match up these two units together, I think it's going to be fascinating to see which wins out. Can San Francisco's yard after the carry guys can can that can that part of their game can that overcome Kansas City's incredible ability to specifically stop teams from doing that? How does Kansas City slow San Francisco down? Yeah, I think that the Kansas City defense is fun because of the way it's built. It puts emphasis on the most important positions. And I say position not to mean like their literal position, but like, what do you do? You want guys who can affect the pass. And that's Chris Jones, who is disruptive as a pass rusher, whether it be inside or when he shifts outside, he is effective in both areas. And they've got really good cornerback play from both their top two corners. And I think that that positions you well against most teams, where you can get to the quarterback, and if he does get rid of it, you can still make an effect there with guys like Legereus Sneed in the secondary. The issue I think they might run into with this Niners offense is that they have guys who can beat linebackers and the linebackers are good. Like I think Leo Chanel, Willie Gay, guys like that are good for the Chiefs, but it's not their strength. So if you're going to beat the Chiefs, I want to be a team that can take advantage of that and not be as relatively impacted by Chris Jones, Legereus Need, etc., as you might be. And you do that via guys like Christian McCaffrey. You do that with George Kittle and then using Debo Samuel in the weird ways. I think the the Chiefs will be able to slow down Brandon Ayuk. Like, I think they can do that in this game. I don't know if they can stop the other three guys simultaneously, though. And mm. you give Kyle, we talk a lot about Andy Reid with a bye week. Kyle Shanahan with two weeks to identify a team's weakness is frightening for me if I'm a Chiefs fan. So yeah. I think that on this side, the Niners offense will have the edge because they have so many different ways to beat you. Like, sure, you can have your strengths via Chris Jones and Legereus Sneed, but they can find ways to kind of, you know, it's always the running joke that Kyle Shanahan's a sniper. It has the, the 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 scope on your weakness. You give him two weeks to find that weakness, I think he's going to be in a pretty good spot. So that to me is why I think the Niners will be very effective offensively in this game. And again, why I'm expecting points, but also do expect the Niners to win this game personally. Uh, one of the uh, things I saw this week, in, including uh, talking about uh, uh, bye weeks, or acting, it, was, it was something that was printed uh, a little while ago, I think back in November, uh, Andy Reid, uh, back in November when I saw this, is just three and four when both teams had a week off. Interesting. So, okay. yeah, it's interesting. He's, and then again, I, I haven't checked to see if that got updated at any point during the course of this season or if that was like after the Chiefs' bye or whatever. But um, when both teams, when his team and the, another team has had a bye week and they're facing each other, he's only three and four in those situations. So um, that's the situation we're facing here this week. Uh, there's no advantage uh, for Andy Reid at that point. Um, and we're talking about the coaches. Certainly, there are going to be moments in this game where some critical decisions are going to need to be made, right? There's going to be a fourth and two at their own 35. You know, you're you're down six. You know, you punt the ball away. You know, game script is is telling you to do one thing. Your your guts are telling you to do another thing. Who do you think has the edge in terms of that? Knowing what to do in game, because I think we've I have noticed in in previous years Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid playing it pretty safe in a lot of different yeah. circumstances. I have more faith in Andy Reid, and I know that might seem wild given, you know, 
his history with the Eagles, it was always the narrative against Andy Reid was can't win the big moments, has weird timeout decisions. That's still true to an extent, but I think that Kyle Shanahan is actually like the bigger violator of that uh, and mm-hmm. a lack of aggressiveness, which, which is weird. Like if you've got this insane offense that can get you two yards for a two-point conversion, can get you a yard or two for a, a, for a, a fourth down attempt, why would you not want to be aggressive, especially if your kicker is kind of questionable, which is true for the Niners with Jake Moody. So if it comes down to crunch time, I actually do trust Andy Reid in the situation. I I think that both of them have their very serious flaws, but Reid has gotten to a point, and I think this is maturation or growth on on his part, where he just trusts his offense to to get the job done. I think that's a credit to him to evolve and be open to changing the way you coach with new information. And when you've got Mahomes at quarterback, why would you not? So for me personally, if it comes down to that, I'm going to prefer Andy Reid. And I think that the overall, when you consider all factors, consider, you know, defense coordinators, I think the coaching edge belongs to the Chiefs in this game. And that does matter quite a bit. Uh, So I do trust Andy Reid a bit more, even if I am saying, I think the Niners do wind up winning this game. So let me ask you, I wanted to get your pick. Do you think the 49ers do end up winning this thing? I do think so. Yeah, I've got a a betting model that I use uh, to try to predict games and stuff like that. And it does favor the Niners in this game. And I think that's worth taking them on the spread at minus two and a half. Uh, That's minus 105 at FanDuel Sportsbook. I think there is value there. It's it's so frightening to bet against Patrick Mahomes. I hate it. Um, I, for a long time, really just wanted to spend my entire life never rooting against him. And I'm not going to root against him. Like, it's just money. I can, like, I'd rather lose some money and enjoy myself more during the Super Bowl than actively root against Mahomes, which is part of why you could just take the over in stacks. I think there's value in that as well. Um, but, like... It stinks to bet against him. I love Mahomes. This this team, the Chiefs team, I know they're kind of like the supervillain because they've been around so long. But like, I think they're objectively a very fun team that I enjoy rooting for typically. But in this spot, I trust the Niners offense, how efficient it's been. I trust the answers they have on offense against this very good Chiefs defense. And I do think that they can make enough big plays. They match up pretty well with the, the Chiefs in that they do limit yards after the catch. They are good over the middle of the field, which is where Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey have kind of made their hay. So I think from a matchup perspective, it does favor the 49ers. So I will be going with them uh, to win on Sunday. Who do you think is uh, Super Bowl MVP? Uh, it, I feel like it can't be Purdy based on the way the, the voting <laughs> broke down um, for the full season MVP. And people seem to hate him, which, you know, I, I understand people are coming from, but like, I bet George Kittle 80 to one last week or two weeks ago before the conference championship. So let's have some fun, John. Let's have uh, some no stakes fun and just go with George Kittle. Uh, I think that he has upside to have some kind of psycho game. He's done it before, even when those guys have all been healthy. So for fun, I'm going to go George Kittle, Super Bowl MVP uh, for this one. All right, for funsies. Let's let's yeah. do George Kittle for funsies. That sounds that sounds real good. And folks, make sure that you're checking out everything that Jim Sonis is doing uh, over at FanDuel Research. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Sonis. Always a good follow. Always lots of great information backed up by the numbers, uh, which is uh, which is what you like to see. Jim, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy, man. I really appreciate your time. I would love to do it anytime, John. Thanks for having me on. All right, well, let me give you my Super Bowl prediction uh, here. Uh, just as we wrap up the podcast. I do not agree with Jim. I do not think the 49ers are going to win this game. I am not betting against Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid will figure out a way to get it done. Kyle Shanahan crumbles in the big moments. And I do think Brock Purdy has not played terribly well here in the playoffs. I just have a hard time envisioning 
Brock Purdy outplaying Patrick Mahomes in this game. I think the 49ers defense is suspect. I think this for I think the Chiefs offense can move the ball, can score points on them. And I think this Chiefs defense is going to suffocate Brock Purdy in this game. I I, I really do. Uh, I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think it'll be a relatively low-scoring game. I, I think we're looking at something like a 26-21 to 21 Kansas City Chiefs win over the San Francisco 49ers here in the Super Bowl. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Jim for coming on the podcast. And uh, just even as we move past the Super Bowl and we move into the offseason, a consequential offseason here coming up for the Philadelphia Eagles. And we'll continue to talk to some of the national folks and uh, we'll continue to dip in on some other teams around the NFC like we did last offseason. That's our offseason plan moving forward so we can see how the Eagles stack up as we approach the draft, as we approach free agency, and what they're going to do to make themselves better for 2024. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Eye on the Enemy. Yeah.